Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome back to another edition of Felony Friday right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Each and every week on Felony Friday, we shine a light on a broken aspect of the criminal justice system. And on today's show, this is actually part two of last week's show, and this is part two of my interview with Anwar. I will link to part one, of course, in the show notes, and I really do encourage everyone to check that out. But I'll give you a quick summary. In part one, we really talked about the circumstances that led Anwar into making some questionable choices. You are not going to want to miss this story. It involves everything from some predatory lending from Lehman Brothers, which led him to putting himself in a position where he took on more debt than he could handle on a purchase of a building with Lehman Brothers loaning him money they never should have loaned him and put him in a position where he turned to selling drugs, which ultimately led the FBI to knocking on his door one day. Now, unfortunately, Anwar is going to be facing some prison time for his actions. This interview was actually recorded while he was awaiting sentencing. You aren't going to want to miss, though, as he talks about at the end of this episode today, the actions that he's taking while he's awaiting sentencing and the positive outlook he has on life. I just want to let you guys know of a way that you can help out the Lions of Liberty podcast, a way that you can support the show and help to spread the message of liberty. You can do this by visiting IgniteLiberty.us. Visit this site, and you can find at this site a Make Liberty Great Again snapback hat. And we have an exclusive deal for Lions of Liberty podcast listeners. Enter the discount code LIBERTY at checkout for 10% off your order. A large portion of the profits from your order will go right back into this podcast. So if you've been looking for a way to help out this podcast, this is the way to do it. And we would really, really appreciate it. We have two different designs that we're offering of the hat. We have a design, a very cool design, circular kind of retro logo design, make Liberty great again. Kind of looks like almost like a retro beer label, really cool design. The other design, Make Liberty Great Again, features the Statue of Liberty. Very cool design also. These are bold, eye-catching hats, and you will not regret picking them up. They're conversation starters. And if you're looking for a way to wear the ideas of liberty, this is the way to do it. Let people know where you stand. Let people know that you stand for liberty. And help out the Lions of Liberty podcast at the same time. So please, don't hesitate. Stop by IgniteLiberty.us. Pick out your favorite design, enter promo code LIBERTY at checkout, and be on your way. This is the 37th episode of Felony Friday, so you know that means you can find the show notes for this episode at lionsofliberty.com slash FF37. you find links and notes to everything that we're going to talk about today. So I hope you enjoy part two of my conversation with Anwar so what happens from there? This is, you open your first story in what year again? First story was in 2002. I was 20 years old. And then in 2006 is where I, when I opened up the music spot is why I called it that and not the basement was because the music spot was more of a kiosk, like a little uh, mm-hmm. stand in the shopping mall. And that's where we would just sell only CDs, DVDs, and t-shirts. I didn't sell any like art supplies or anything like that. It was mainly music. It was mainly CDs and DVDs. 
Okay, so and at this time, 2006, 2007, the economy starts to, I guess, tilt a little bit in 2007 and into 2008 and on from there. But it, it was going pretty well up until that point. Yeah. So you were probably enjoying the growth, enjoying the good economy. So when the economy changed, is that where you, did you start to get some pressure on yourself there? Absolutely. So that's when why me and you are talking now, because this is where, you know, I start making these bad decisions. So in 2006, I'm at this point, I'm still living in my parents' house and I'm feeling a certain way, like, okay, I'm four or five years into it. What the, what am I doing? I don't, you know, I'm still living at my mom's house. That, that kind of like was a reflection of, of where, how successful I, I was really. And that really bothered me. And again, I was really building my personal credit was skyrocketed by then. You know, I'm, I'm 25 years old and I'm, you know, my credit is like almost 10 years old. So that says a lot with the, with the credit bureaus as well as I didn't even know at the time, but I had established business credit. And that's another way of, of having credit in the credit line. And, you know, me getting a Dun & Bradstreet number and me having an Experian business credit profile. And I'm learning all this as I go. And I'm basically golden at the looks of, the, of a banker. And, you know, at that time, they were giving loans out to everyone. And I'm talking about not even just for mortgages. Like I was getting, you know, credit cards from Citibank, you know, Washington Mutual, you know, and all these other banks that are obviously not around anymore because of this. So in 2006, right, right when I opened up my second building, I mean, I'm sorry, right when I opened up my second business, which is the music spot, I called a mortgage specialist and I told her what I wanted. And what I really wanted to do was move my store into an, a better location because the location that I was in was kind of dying down and I didn't really see any growth. On top of the no growth, the music industry was was going down. Not only did we see that economy about to tank, but my specific industry, which was music, was a very uh, slow and dying business. So I had to think fast in a way because... I was scared. I said, hey, you know, I've built my business for the last four or five years. I'm still living at my mom's. Like, I don't know what to do. Like, you know, things are steady. Don't get me wrong. Things are steady. My credit's great. But what's the next step? And I said, okay, well, I need to buy a condo. I need to move out. So I deaded that right away because with a condo, I was still at this shop with this business that was getting ready to die very, very soon. So I decided to rebrand my business and transition it from a music store, you know, music, meaning DVD, CDs, vinyl, transition it to more of a fashion-based lifestyle store, and I would want to move it into a more of a high-traffic area and make it so it's not a music store anymore, where it's more of a clothing store. And, you know, clothing and, you know, I, to add more accessories to it, I wanted to add like skateboards in there, continue my art supplies, just, you know, just a very like hip kind of shop and a very different kind of shop. But definitely moving away from the music being 75 percent of the business to, you know, making it 25 and more of a, like an accessory similar to what Best Buy and Target does is they don't make any money on the music, but they just sell music so the people can come in and buy, you know appliances and whatever else they might have at their store. So, and that was another business that was killing us was the box stores. They were selling CDs for $9.99 and we were buying them wholesale for like $12.99, you know, $12.40 and those kinds of price points. So 
you know, if I would have stayed in the music business, I would have definitely went under very fast. So long story short, the lady comes back to me, the mortgage person, and she says, hey, we got you approved. She's like, yeah, just let me know what you want and we'll get it for you. And then um, I go around these neighborhoods like Wicker Park, Lincoln Park, Roscoe Village, just all these um, areas in Chicago where I think this store would do good. And lo and behold, I see this building and it was a mixed use property. It, it was an apartment upstairs and a storefront downstairs. So I was like, wow, I said it's for sale by owner. I looked at it the next day and even though it needed a lot of work, I said, I really want it because A, I was moving out of my house. So I'm getting a piece of um, a place where I can live. And downstairs, I can put my business, which I want to move anyway, so I can make that transition of from being a music store to being more of a clothing store. That's when um, I meet our good friends at Lehman Brothers and talk to the guy. He's a very aggressive guy. He's, you know, very salesman like, very pushy, but really cocky type of guy. And remember, this is 2006 when all these guys, you know, they got boats, they have multiple houses. These guys are rich. You know, these guys are getting these loans. I have no idea. I'm a 25 year old kid. I'm like, you know, I just want some property. Like, I can't believe I'm, I'm about to have some property. Like, wow, this is amazing. Right. There's a lot more to it, but they give me a, you know, we decided on the price for $500,000 for the building. You know, I still don't have liquid cash, but here comes um, Washington Mutual. They gave me 50000 just for a line of credit. And Lehman Brothers said, hey, uh, we need 10% down. You know, it's usually 20% down, but we'll cut you a break this time and just give me 10%. So that was 50000 And I was thinking in my head, well, I don't have 50000 but Washington Mutual has it for me and I can use it anytime. So I said, yeah, okay, I'll give you guys 10%. So we worked out the contract, gave them that 50000 and then they signed a loan to me for $450,000 in November of 2009. I'm sorry, 2006. Wow. <laughs> yes, yeah, so this, this is such an interesting story because it, it ties together with so many aspects that we talk about in this show. We talk about, you know, government intervention in the economy you know, the Federal Reserve, lowering interest rates, manipulating interest rates, which allowed these banks, investment banks like Lehman Brothers to prey on people. Really, that's that's what they did, taking advantage of people and legislators as well, writing laws that incentivized these banks to do that, to take advantage of people. And unfortunately, they put you in a pretty bad situation with that loan. What was your monthly mortgage payment there? Uh, that's a good question. Yeah, I feel like it's definitely all relatable. And my situation is different, but I think it speaks to two different people, which we'll get into later. But yeah, so my mortgage total at the time with taxes and insurance was like 3800 Now, mind you, I'm paying, when I first opened my store in, in Rogers Park, I was paying six fifty a month for rent. <laughs> <laughs> and then this new landlord came, he bought the building, then he raised it from six fifty to 900 So that was the only like big spike. I mean... So now I'm at 900 and then the Lincolnwood store is 1500 for the stand. And then now I took on this. So this is me biting more than I can chew again, you know, and just talking about it makes me realize like, you know, nobody was there to tell me to calm the hell down and what the hell are you doing? And at this point I have no mentor. I have, you know, I'm a college dropout. I don't even think I graduated high school at this point. <laughs> 
So I'm just riding the wave and just studying, studying, studying business books. I'm reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I'm reading Cashflow Quadrant, another uh, from Robert Kiyosaki. I'm, I'm reading mm-hmm. books by Donald Trump. You know, I'm reading Tony Robbins. These are all my mentors because I can't, I don't have anybody that can mentor me at this point. And believe it or not, they got me through a lot of things. You know, me riding around listening to audiobooks when people think I'm listening to like hip hop music. I'm listening to all these books on audio because I don't have time to read because I'm doing these businesses. So yeah, that's 2006 and I get this loan. And so now I have three stores and as soon as I sign, I'm happy. But at the same time, I'm like, what the hell did I just do? Because at the end of the day, you know, I wasn't a dumb kid because I had a plan, but the plan didn't go as planned for one thing. Lehman Brothers put me in a position where at the time, the person that I purchased the, the building from, they had already been talking to somebody else regarding the building. Now, the owner, mind you, he's in Puerto Rico, so he's not even here. So I'm dealing with his cousin that's showing me around. So when I first seen the place, it was in pretty good shape. You know, it needed some paint work. It needed like some minor cosmetic things. That was the main reason why I bought the building because I didn't really need to do much. So the key component to this whole story and why this happened to me, and I'm not putting blame into anyone or, you know, because I take full responsibility for my actions, but this was the cause of why it happened was the people that were in negotiations with the property owner, they had went in without me knowing and they gutted the entire place. Okay. Now this is without having a contract having anything in writing or nothing. They just talked to the guy that agreed to sell it to me and they left this place unusable. This used to be a liquor store. So they took all the refrigerators, they dismantled the place, they broke everything down. Everything was everywhere. And when the Eman brothers sent their inspector to look at the property, they said, no, we cannot give you this loan, you know? And I'm already in like all this money and time. And, but the thing is, and I, I look at, I look back talking about it and I look back, I still could have pulled away if I wanted to, but me being such an, I wouldn't say ambitious, but me being just so like hard-headed, maybe yeah, hard-headed. Bit. Yeah. Hard-headed to just say, no, no, this is my building. Well, what, you know, why are these, and I call the owner right away. I said, why are these guys in, in this place? Me and you have a deal. What are you doing? And then he said the same thing. I don't know what the hell they're doing. Like, call my cousin, call the police. I don't know why they're there. And, you know, it was a big deal. And I'm like, well, I don't care. I don't. I think at that time I didn't agree to 500. But at that point I said, I'm going to buy this for 500,000. I'm offering you 500,000. Okay. You better tell your guys to get out of there. And then that's when he did. Something happened where it was settled that it was 500,000 that I was going to pay him. And then they got out of there. But the Lehman Brothers were still not convinced. They said, hey, you have to turn this into a vanilla box. Basically, what that means is it has to be basically ready to be operated on as the business that I had, which is a retail store. It was technically a small business loan. Not only was it a you know a commercial loan, but it was a small business loan. And they said, we cannot give you the loan until this is a vanilla box. So going back to what I was saying is, you know, I did my plan. I had a plan. But this kind of threw everything off. Now, 
I had gotten 35000 from National City Bank, which is now PNC Bank. But with that money, I was supposed to buy my inventory for my store. Now, instead of having that for my for my inventory for my store, I'm using that to fix all the mess that the old owner did and to make Lehman Brothers happy and to make that vanilla box so I can, you know, run my business. So I hired this guy, Joe Schmo, that does drywall and this guy that does HVAC stuff. And I ended up blowing that $35,000 very fast. Long story short, they do get it to the point where Lehman Brothers said, hey, okay, now it's a vanilla box. Here goes your loan. So that's one part I, I didn't put into it before, but that's the key component on, on why everything went downhill. Because now I'm $50,000 in debt for Washington Mutual and 35000 for National City, just like that, without even opening the doors. And I'm 25 years old and I still have two other stores and I'm by myself. <laughs> so again, no excuses at all. But this is me being hardheaded and saying, hey, just... Let's make it happen. Let's just keep it going. So, so Anwar, you know, all this pressure on you, you're in this situation, partly your fault, partly not your fault, partly the situation with the economy. Anyway, it is what it is. What happens that ultimately leads you to making a decision or a series of decisions that lead to the FBI knocking on your door? Okay. At this point, I had three stores. I end up closing my first one, and then the second one I end up selling to someone which never even paid me the money. So now I'm done to one store. It's 2008, and the pressure's coming in. I'm running out of credit. I'm running out of credit because I used all of my other credit cards to post my inventory because I used my main inventory budget to fix up you know, the place for Lehman Brothers. So you know, as I'm sitting here thinking, what to do at this point. I'm at my store and I don't know what to do. I'm very scared. My parents are losing their house that my dad bought, you know, with his medallion money. So they're losing their house. I'm about to lose mine because I'm behind my mortgage like two months and I'm in bad shape. Okay. Someone comes into my store. I'm there by myself. And it's one of my friends that I've known growing up he comes in and he buys about a thousand dollars worth of stuff i say wow thank you you don't understand how much this sale is going to help me thank you very much and you know, i'm very grateful and i said what the hell are you doing how do you have so much money man <laughs> and he says hey man you know what we're doing and he's like if you ever need help just give me a call i said okay I'll keep that in mind. Thanks, but no thanks. Uh, a few months go by and, you know, Frank comes by again. And this time, really in the worst shape that I've ever been in. And one day I just end up, you know, giving him a call, giving him that call and saying to him, please help me, you know, please help me save my, my business. And... It was the worst mistake I ever made in my entire life. I don't know if we could get into it too much, but you know, that led me to get into the drug trade from what I thought was 
something very small and um, victimless turned out to be a really bad decision. You know, at the time, it was just, you know, marijuana that he had. And I figured, hey, you know, marijuana is legal in a few states. You know, morally, it's, you know, I was thinking more like that because, you know, being from Chicago, you know people in this trade. You know people that are doing it. And even when I had my store from the beginning, people would ask me, hey, are you into like this trade? Are you into this? You know, do you have any weed? Like, are, are you want to get into it? And I always told people, no, that's that's whack. You know, like in the culture, being whack is like, that's not cool. You know, like we don't need to do that. You know, this is something that we're passionate about. We did the music. This was our way of saying no to that. You know, we don't have to stoop to that level, you know. And one thing that I always kept telling people was, I know I'm not going to get into it. They would ask me why. And I said, because if I do it, I'm going to do it really big. And I don't want to do big because that's going to get me in trouble. And, you know, having said that, that way I was in 2009 and not even four years later, I'm, you know, I'm really heavily involved with it. I'm rolling with crews that I would never thought I would, I would be rolling with and uh, being one day at a, in my house and uh, being with my girlfriend at the time and, uh, you know, six in the morning, get a knock on the door and with guns drawn, the FBI was, say, freeze, FBI, put your hands up. You had the right to remain silent. And that was like a very, very uh, emotional and uh, just a very, very uh, bad time in my life. But I'll be very honest with you. When that happened, that lifted a lot of um, things off my shoulders, I'll tell you that, because I knew it was finally over. Yeah, you had uh, all the pressure from the business on you. And I guess I should say first, you know, to our listeners, Anwar and I talked in the pre-show chat. And there's certain things that with uh, his case still going on, he hasn't been convicted. He's been charged. Is that correct? I've been convicted. Oh, you have been? Yeah, just to give you a, a little insight. So I've been convicted. Currently, I'm awaiting my sentencing. And, you know, I'm just waiting on the day where I get sentenced. But I signed for a mandatory minimum of 10 years. And, you know, my case, there was marijuana involved. There was cocaine involved. And there was guns found on my case. And when it's a conspiracy charge, it's all for one and one for all. So that being said, if one person gets, you know, charged with or caught with one, you know, we all get charged. And it was 23 people on June 20th, 2013, where all of us were picked up and brought into the federal building in downtown Chicago. And that's where we were um, given our complaint. And that's where they put all our charges there. But all the information is all you know, public records. So that's what I can say about the case. Mm-hmm. That's what I signed for was 10-year mandatory minimum. I've never been in jail or never never got in trouble in my life just that one time with the graffiti stuff when I was a teenager and um yeah it just it's a pretty uh, serious situation now so first of all I'm, you know I'm sorry to hear that that's uh that is tough but based on uh, I'm sure you've talked to your lawyer does your lawyer 
has it given you an idea how much time I know you say 10 years mandatory minimum, but is there a chance that you'll be able to get out more quickly? When they took us in to in 2013 in June, I did about six months in there in the in federal custody. And when I got out, that time that I did, that will be counted towards my whatever sentence that I uh, that the judge wants to give me. Or I'm sorry, not that the judge wants to give me, whatever the judge gives me. And um, from there, we will get time for good time. But with the federal system, it's 85%. So it's about more or less like two months per year. So therefore, with with the t- amount of time that I have in already, plus the good time, I'm looking at about maybe eight years. Can you talk about, I know, you know, in the beginning of the show, I talked about your, your blog a little bit. And I know you've, you talk about in there about being open, honest, and transparent. What type of things are you doing to keep a positive attitude right now? And on the blog, what's your goal for that blog? Well, here's the thing. With that blog, it's basically, I had an idea. So I, I started this nonprofit called Street Dreams Chicago. And it's basically showing mentoring kids on how to become entrepreneurs the same way my uncle did for me back before I started mine, but with a little bit more emphasis in financial education and the things that they don't teach us in school. Having said that, I started the for my personal blog where, you know, I can keep in contact with people that want to know about my whereabouts and how, you know, they can write to me or send me things or you know, mail me letters and just more on my upkeep on how I'm doing, what I did today. And, you know, just to kind of have a narrative on how I'm doing while I'm doing my time. So that was the main objective for that. Now, I, I recently just made the decision to just combine the two websites because, first of all, I don't like, I really grew out of the name of the one that I sent you. So I believe Street Dreams is more of a positive outlook. And like I said, I don't want to talk about or give any excuses on what I did because I take full responsibility on what I did. But if I can change somebody's life with this nonprofit, then, you know, that'll help me more than anything. And, and especially uh, will occupy my time while I'm in there, you know, creating programs for kids in the inner city and helping people, you know, how, what I'm doing and what I'm doing to change other people's lives and how to change my life as well, which you know, I have already did since I told you, since I've got out in 2014, you know, I changed my life around. I, I don't talk to any of the people in that world anymore. I got married. I started my own business. You know, me and my wife, uh, we opened up two businesses. I opened up an art gallery. Uh, after that, I opened up a scooter rental shop. And my final thing is my, um, me and my wife opened up a little hostel business, like a bread and breakfast business. And that's been really taken off and very proud of it as well. So uh, changing my life around, disassociated myself from even my girlfriend that I was with for about five years. You know, I just wanted a fresh start and I just wanted to prove to everyone, but more importantly, myself that, you know, this is my chance to prove that I am still the same person from the neighborhood that, you know, that did so many great things for the community. They took I know a, a lot of things away from me, but yeah, so they didn't take my integrity. They didn't take my ambition away. So that's what helped me to and inspire me to keep going with the entrepreneurship and to also create this nonprofit organization and to help people 
overcome the obstacles that I went through and to learn from the mistakes that I went through so they don't have to make the same ones that I did, which, you know, I have a lot of knowledge and a lot of experience that the average person doesn't have. And like I said, if one person can learn from me and and not take these uh, these steps that I did and, and take the other steps that I should have done, then we'd be, you know, we, everyone would be in a better situation right now. Just a couple of notes on that, Anwar. I'm not sure if you've heard the previous podcasts on Lions of Liberty, one back on episode 93 of Mark Clare's show, where you had on Michael Santos. Michael Santos has the Earning Freedom podcast. He's the uh, his website, The Prison Professor. He was on Felony Friday back on episode seven. Michael spent, God, I, I don't remember off the top of my head how many years in prison. I think it was like 25 years in prison for selling cocaine uh, down in Miami. And uh, while Michael was in prison, he got a college degree. He wrote like like four or five books. He made a million dollars on the stock market. Just an incredible guy. And I want to encourage you and encourage anyone else listening that is in a similar situation to Anwar to check out Michael Santos. Google Michael Santos, prison professor. Check out his podcasts on Lions of Liberty. And secondly, I just do want to ask you, since you do have you know the place where you're in right now, I'm sure there's other people out there who either have been in a similar place or maybe are in a similar place right now, or maybe are doing some of the actions that, that got you in trouble, who could use your advice. And I just want to ask you if you had any advice for anyone out there who's maybe thinking about selling drugs or has sold drugs or just think about breaking the law in another way. And, you know, on this show, we talk about often how we are opposed to the drug war, how the war on drugs is immoral, and the government has no right to tell you what you can or can't put in your body. But with that being said, it is illegal, and there are consequences to it. So obviously, if you get caught, you're going to pay the consequences, which unfortunately is what's happening to you, Anwar. So can you just give some advice to anyone out there who is in that position? Definitely, definitely. And that's what I always say, too, you know, even though Morally, I felt it wasn't something that, you know, wasn't hurting anyone. But the fact of the matter is not only is it hurting the people that abuse it, but, you know, I have hurt so many people, you know, because this happened to me, not only my family, but people that looked up to me and people that I mentored throughout the years, which I still mentor throughout this day. So my advice to someone that wants to get into it, you know, you you need to really talk to people that are already into it. And realize that it's not all fun and games. You know, anyone will tell you that's in it that, hey, you know, it's a lot of money being made out there. But at the same time, there's a lot of risk and there's a lot of violence that comes with it, you know. And what I would say, I would say, hey, get educated. Why are you doing it? How much money are you going to make? You know, if you want to be specific, like you want to make 100000 on selling some weed. Okay. Well, let's backtrack and say, all right, well, if you really want to make $100,000, let's just cut it off right there. And then let's figure out a way to make $100,000 without selling anything illegal. And let's formulate a plan, you know, together. And this is what we do at Street Dreams is we find solutions, you know, we find the problem. Okay, you're broke. We get it. We know that it's hard out there. Trust me, I went through it, but you don't have to sell anything illegal. You don't have to do anything illegal, do any kind of scam or any kind of, you know, credit card fraud or or mortgage fraud, you know, because at the end of the day, you know, these people have unlimited resources 
And they're going to get you, whether it's, you know, in a week, whether it's in a year, whether it's 10 years. But, you know, there's so many ways to do it. And there's so many ways to make money. And it's all out there for us to have. The knowledge is free. So that's what I would say to people that are trying to get into it. I know it's hard. And that's why they're 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 looking into it because, you know, they can't pay their mortgage, their rent, their refrigerator's empty. But look for the solution. Don't think that's the only thing that's out there. There's many, many things out there. Drugs just happens to be the one that we're exposed to. But that doesn't mean that's the only thing out there. You know, there's anywhere from, you know, especially nowadays in this this tech boom, there's so many things you could do from drive Uber to, you know, be a handyman. I mean, the possibilities are endless, especially right now. This isn't the 80s and 90s where we didn't really have too many things. A lot of people, you know, they're blessed. You know, we're kind of in the in the gold rush right now. So just be smart and look at your options because that is one option. And believe me, I know that that is an option, but it's not an only option. And it's the option that will get you in trouble. So why don't you just keep those options far down the list? Focus on the ones that are positive and that are realistic as well. Talk, you know, get some mentor. See how do you can get a mentor or something. We'll be happy to mentor anyone out there that wants to just talk. It's all for free and it's all just to give back. That's great advice, Anwar. I want to thank you once again for coming on the show. I want to wish you the, the best of luck uh, going forward, going into prison. I know you th- that you have, just speaking with you now for the past over an hour now, um, I know you have the mindset that you'll make it out and you will even find success in prison and after prison. So I wish you the best of luck and thank you for coming on the show. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Wow. What an incredible interview with Anwar. I'm so thankful that Anwar had the courage to come on this show and share his story from beginning to end, hopefully to allow others to learn from his story so they are not put in a similar situation that he finds himself in right now, awaiting sentencing and likely spending eight to 10 years in prison. Now, I'm thankful that Anwar reached out to me. He actually uh, sent me an email. He mentioned that his brother was listening to Felony Friday and Anwar sent an email to me and, and asked he wanted to come on the show. And I'm really happy he decided to do that because I think his story is very important. I'm hopeful that his story prevents others, like I said, from making similar mistakes. And also, I think it's all an important talking point here, an important libertarian talking point to hit on. You know, there are a lot of libertarians out there who will say when they hear a story like Anwar's, but John... Why are you calling these mistakes? Why are you saying Anwar made mistakes? He didn't hurt anyone. He certainly didn't steal any property. All the transactions were consensual. And that's absolutely true. All true. I have no problem with any of that. But we have to remember the reality of what we live in today. The reality of the society that we live in today. And the society we live in today penalizes the selling of drugs harshly. It's not as bad as it it was. It's getting a little bit better, but it's a very real consequence for selling any illicit drug. And Anwar mentioned that he was caught for selling marijuana, cocaine, and there were gun charges as well. And the amount of people involved, there was a conspiracy charge. These charges are out there. And if you get caught breaking the law, you're going to pay the consequences. 
This is why I would never advise anyone to sell drugs, to break the law. I would never say that's a good way to make money to do that. The risk is just simply too much. This is why I think it's so awesome what Anwar is doing with Street Dreams. He is finding kids on the street who want to make money, who are in a tough position, who maybe don't have the the opportunities, don't have an, an opportunity even to get an education, even to get a high school education that would allow them to go to college, that would even learn how to manage their funds to even start their own business. Anwar is teaching them how to do that. He's asking them, what do you want in life? How much money do you want to make? Where when they come in and they meet Anwar, the only thing they know is how to make that money is by selling drugs. And he's teaching them, you know, let's start a business. Let's work within the model of what we have in society today. And that's important. I think that's very important. And you know what? I really, really wish that Anwar could keep doing that full time. He could keep teaching kids how to become entrepreneurs, keep teaching kids how to create value rather than going to spend the next eight to 10 years in prison. Now, I know he's going to continue to work on street dreams from prison, but I would much rather, obviously, as I'm sure you would, as I'm sure the Felony Fridays listeners would agree with me, that you would rather see Anwar out of prison as well. And I'm happy that he came on this show. I wish Anwar the best. I'll try to keep in touch with him and keep you guys aware of his developing situation and sentencing. So, guys, with that being said, you've listened to now two parts of this. I hope you enjoyed the show. I really learned a lot from Anwar, and I really did enjoy my conversation with him. If you enjoyed it, too, please, you can share it on Facebook, Twitter. Easy way to do that. Follow the Lines of Liberty on on Facebook and Twitter. Just share what we send out. If you haven't joined our private Facebook group, the Lions of Liberty Forum, I really want to encourage you to do that. We have great conversations at the Lions of Liberty Forum every single day with new people contributing and great ideas, great conversations, great environment too. There's very little uh, condescending talk or hurtful exchanges like you would normally see on the internet. People are respectful. So check that out. Go to Facebook, type Lions of Liberty Forum in the search bar. It'll pop right up and we will get you approved as quick as we can. I don't want to take much more time from you. I just want to let you know of one more way you can help the show. You can help Lions of Liberty. Go to igniteliberty.us. Check out our Make Liberty Great Again hats. Two different designs, two very cool designs, two eye-catching designs. And people see the Make Liberty Great and they think, wait a minute, is that a Trump hat? No, it's Liberty, not America. What's that about? Why do you want to make Liberty Great? It's a great conversation starter. It's not meant to be all-encompassing. It's not a thesis statement. It's to catch an eye, to start a conversation, and to hopefully change some minds. So please think about getting a uh, Make Liberty Great Again hat. Go to igniteliberty.us. Type in promo code LIBERTY. Check out and... You'll get 10% off, and those profits will go right back in to the Lions of Liberty podcast. That's it for today, guys. Thank you for listening, guys. As always, this is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning. <laughs>